Have you ever been nagged by something, something persistent that just won't go away? Our daughter Molly, who's 12, got a cat two Christmases ago named Teddy, and we are convinced Teddy looks at Molly as his mom. And every single morning at 7 a.m., if Molly has not opened up her bedroom door, Teddy will sit outside the door and meow until Molly gets up and welcomes him in, and she is not a morning person. (laughs) Sometimes we have nagging and persistent realities that cause us to action that are positive, like a cat that loves its mom, and sometimes they're on the more negative. I remember several years ago in the pastoral vocation, this is not a great thing, I noticed a blemish on the top of my hand, and just kind of noticed it, didn't think a whole lot of it, and began to grow a little bit, and just began to pick at it. I think I did it often when I was preaching, just standing, picking, picking away, and thought it would go away. I showed it to my wife. I said, Tracy, I've got this weird thing on my hand. What do you think it is? And she said, Tim, I think that's a wart. And I said, you've got to be kidding me. So I took a Band-Aid, put it over it. It'll go away. Well, short time later, another one appeared on my left hand, and then a small colony of warts began to grow on my right hand. And as a pastor shaking people's hands, what do you do? So I would take my sleeve and try to pull it up halfway over my hand, or I would T-Rex it at the door like, (laughs) hey, great to have you here this morning. And I I had to go to the doctor who seemed to take a lot of joy in burning them off of, off of my hands. For those uh, spouses married to people in ministry, uh, nagging can take the form of your husband or wife on Sunday morning really wrestling with a message like this one and just waking you at 5 a.m. And it starts with just a little kind of brush of the tip of the nose and a little blowing on the face and then a little prodding until she wakes up and as she wakes up at 5 a.m. on Sunday morning saying, Tracy, this just isn't coming together. Would you wake up and help? Several years ago in Boston, we had gone to a local church and it's a reminder for me that oftentimes things that nag and persist can be larger than warts and beautiful cats and an annoying spouse. We had gone to a church, and when we got there, they had made it very clear to us that we had two youth groups at this church, the church youth group on Sunday night and the community youth group on Monday night. And we said, well, we're not going to have two youth groups. We're going to have one. And we began to pray and hired an a incoming freshman at Eastern Nazarene College named Matt, spirit-filled, true worshiper of God. He began to pour into these kids' lives. At the end of the peninsula we lived on, the single-parent kids who lived in homes where there was a lot of drugs and a lot of different things going on, the kids that the church didn't want coming in. And that youth group grew from 6 to 125, and it was in a bedroom community. So we're on a street in a bedroom community on Tuesday night. The teens gather in the sanctuary to worship, and it was hip-hop worship. And they would end around 9.30 or 10 o'clock at the latest. But this went on for some time, and... um, would go next door to the church from our parsonage. And on one given day, Tracy hears this rather loud knocking at the front door. And she goes up to the door, I'm not home, and she answers the door, and there's this very angry, frustrated-looking man looking at her through the glass of that parsonage door. And he began to intimidate and began to yell and began to say, I am sick and tired of the music I'm hearing coming from this church every Tuesday night. 
And Tracy said, well, I think there's a pastor next door. Maybe you want to go talk to Tim. Never came over and talked. Thought, well, maybe this will just go away. Next week, same thing. I'm at work. I'm going to the hospital visiting people. Tracy hears this rather brusque knocking at the front door. She goes to the door. It's him again. And this began to go on, this intimidation, for a long period of time. When we got to the place where we're wondering, what do you do with someone who is nagging and persisting that, that really is causing a great amount of concern? And if you have your Bibles, look at Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, Jesus teaches the Our Father, the Paternoster, the Lord's Prayer, And it's the most memorable prayer, perhaps in all of Scripture, a prayer that millions upon millions of Christians pray each and every given day. But I believe in Luke chapter 11, starting with verse 5, Jesus intended his continued teaching on prayer to be as memorable as the Lord's Prayer. And he says in story, suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit, and I have nothing for him to eat. Suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me. The door is locked for the night. My family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you this, though we won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. At the heart of the Lord's prayer is petition. Give us today the bread that we need. But Jesus seems to be saying that there are occasions we run into in our life with Christ when the daily bread has been consumed and there's still a need. Jesus tells the story of the midnight hour when an unexpected guest arrives at our front door. We welcome the guest in All the daily bread is gone. The pantry is empty. And so we think that love and honor dictates that, well, if I can't meet the need of the guest, if I can't show the hospitality of the God of Israel to the one who has shown up at my house unexpectedly, I'll go to a friend and ask them to give the bread that I need. And so Jesus calls us in the story to imagine a a pauper-like village and house, a one-room home where, well, when a family went to bed at night, they would have an upper flat area where they would lay down together, and and perhaps some of the livestock would be under the same roof on a lower level. But, But to wake someone up at the midnight hour means you also, in getting up to assist, are going to wake up the children. Now, us parents here know the peace and the joy that happens when our children finally fall asleep. And yet, in this story that Jesus teaches about prayer, it is understood that if a person can't meet what love requests, feeding the guest who comes at midnight, then the need for honor falls to the village to meet that need. And yet, Jesus says, as you go to the door of who you thought is your friend and ask for the bread that you need, 
Your friend doesn't speak through the front door, but through the muffled side opening of the house, saying, don't bother me, the door is locked. My family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. And you have that sinking feeling that the one you thought was a friend maybe isn't the friend you thought you had. And yet Jesus says, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. It's risking the friendship at the midnight hour. It's saying, I will continue to knock and make an annoying nuisance until the bread I need is given. And Jesus says, this is what it means to persist in prayer. To be people of prayer as Jeff said, true worshipers, we are reminded that prayer requires a deep persistence. And in ministry, it may not be the midnight hour, but as you're at your leadership committee, I can tell you, when you move to a place of prayer, it can seem like that annoying person in the neighborhood who's knocking at your front door at midnight. You mean you need us to bother to put down Robert's rules of orders? You need us to do away with majority rule? You need us to take time, to spend time persistent in prayer? Are you persisting in prayer? As Jeff mentioned a few moments ago, you know, one of the things in, in full-time ministry that can go to the wayside is being a true worshiper. It's the same with prayer. One of the things that can be derailed in ministry is a life of prayer, persistent prayer. Prayer that's willing to step out at the midnight hour to be shameless, to risk relationships for the sake of the need. The daily bread has been consumed but God, there is someone that needs to be fed and love demands I reach out. Well, as this man in our neighborhood continued to persist knocking at our parsonage front door, intimidating my wife, word kind of got out. I think we had shared it with a few people in prayer. You know, we've got this situation. It won't go away. Well, it just so happened several houses up the street, there was a man named Jack who I was absolutely terrified of, scared to death of this guy. I don't know if you remember the Peanuts cartoon. Do you remember how Pigpen, everywhere Pigpen goes, there's this dust cloud that just trails Pigpen? Wherever Jack went, there was a cloud of rumor. He's missing teeth from a barroom brawl. He uh, almost played for the NHL, but spent some time in prison, maybe killing a person or two. That was Jack up the street. Just imagine Sylvester Stallone with long, black, curly hair resting on his shoulders. That was Jack. And, well, Jack lived up the street, and, and his kids would kind of float downstream to our backyard when I was out with our four-year-old son playing in the backyard of the parsonage. His kids would just show up and want to play, but didn't want Jack coming around. The guy's going to kill me. He drove a dumpster, and, and uh, some said that he worked for the Boston Mafia. And I, I always knew the end of the peninsula smelled kind of weird, and I began to wonder if there were bodies in the marsh that Jack had buried. <laughs> well, one night, this persistent neighbor who's intimidating my wife is continuing to go on. We are literally driving home. It seemed like the midnight hour, and 
going down the street to the parsonage, and I see Jack in the middle of the street with a rather small white towel around his waist. That was it. And he's standing in the center of the street, and I just was like, Tracy, just look forward, just look forward, just look forward, just look forward. We kind of gracefully went around Jack and parked in the parsonage uh, right by the, the house in the church and got out of the car and pretending everything's normal, and I, I noticed Jack is walking toward us. I'm like, okay. I did not learn this in seminary. What do you do with a guy who terrifies you, who's showing up at nighttime in a towel? <laughs> so Jack comes up to us, and he, he's holding this towel. And he, he comes up to my wife, and, and in a rather, I can't even do it, in a rather very thick Boston accent, he looks at Tracy, and he says, I heard there's some guy giving you some, some trouble. And he says, do you want me to take care of this? <laughs> and I said... I said, Jack, you know, <laughs> I said, Jack, I said, Jack, that I, that's a lovely offer. <laughs> I really appreciate it, but, but I think we'll be just fine. And I don't know if there's irony, but the guy never showed up at our front door ever again, <laughs> knocking. He took care of the situation. <laughs> Jesus says, and so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive. <laughs> Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Why do we persist in prayer? It's because Jesus is saying at the heart of prayer, there is hope. Hope in the truth that when we ask, we will receive. When we seek, we will find. When we knock, the door will be opened, that our Father is not behind a locked door in the calm quiet of the courts of heaven saying, I'm, uh, don't bother me, we're all tucked in bed, come back at a more convenient time. Jesus is saying for us, for all of us, that when we ask, when we seek, when we knock, we will receive, we will find the door will be opened. There is hope in prayer. What is the hope that we have in prayer? Well, to get the A's in the semester, to get the budget we could really use in some of our ministry line items, to grow worship attendance. Aren't those the things that we naturally land on? And it's, it's good news in the Our Father that God is concerned about the very real, substantive things of your daily life and mine. But the hope and prayer, Jesus says, is more about relationship than it is about the bread we need because it's been consumed and there's a need. Verse 11 of Luke 11, you fathers... If your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Our son was about four years old at the time. Jack lived three doors down. And there came a day where our son Chatham, as his name was, asking Tracy for a garden. There was a little stretch of land between the parsonage and the church, you know, the kind of yard that you just walk over to get to the church. 
not being used for anything. So we looked at the plot of ground. We're like, well, this might be a good place for a garden. And all I had was a spade. All I had was a trowel. I'm like, this is going to take me some time. Well, it seemed before we'd even started talking about the garden, that on one particular afternoon, I heard what sounded like the treads of a tank coming down the street. And I'd just seen Saving Private Ryan, so I'm thinking, okay, is this Normandy, you know, 2.0? And, and Chatham's looking out the front window, and he's starting to jump up and down. He's excited. He's pointing. And I go outside of the parsonage. I look down the street, and there is Jack, thankfully not in a small white towel, sitting in a bobcat, driving it down the street to our house. And Jack said, I heard you guys want a garden. And I'm thinking, this is the same machine he used to bury the body, right? <laughs> so I said, well, Jack, really? He's like, oh yeah, I'm here. I'm, I'm here to help. And in a matter of literally five minutes, Jack comes in, he digs up this garden, he, he softens up the soil, he takes the sod, he puts it in his truck, and he's done, and we've got a garden. We begin to plant, and the stuff begins to grow. When we go to our Father in prayer, God reminds us that even as broken people, we know how to give good gifts to our children. How much more, Luke says, will our Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to us? I'm thinking as a pastor, I didn't ask for the Holy Spirit. I'd like a bigger budget. God, I didn't ask for the Holy Spirit. I'd love a really good staff person over this ministry area. God, I didn't ask for the Holy Spirit. You know, we need, we need to grow and reach out. We need a missional initiative that's going to engage this community. Isn't that interesting that Luke puts this in here, whereas Matthew doesn't have this? The Father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. And yet, Jesus is teaching us that the answer to our asking and our seeking and our knocking is God Himself. It is the Lord that our Father offers us the gift of the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts and our lives. That this surprising relationship with the Holy Spirit who, who infills and empowers us is like a surprising guest at the midnight hour who shows up unexpectedly. And we're saying, well, the pantry's empty. I, I, I don't have the bread. And yet we learn through the Spirit that God's presence within is the bread of life. We can have the gift of the Spirit without having the fullness of a pantry of bread. When is the last time in ministry we were thankful that the pantry was empty? When was the last time that we gave God praise for the fact that we didn't have what we thought we needed? Wasn't it Luke who records in his second volume, Acts, that Peter, who, who experienced in his own life the gift and presence of the Holy Spirit, was in public ministry and came upon a lame beggar who was holding up his hand for coin. And Peter said, gold and silver I do not have, but in the name of Jesus Christ, stand and walk. The gift of God is given because the pantry is empty. The gift of God is experienced in and through us because we don't have what we need 
And yet we have more than we could ever ask for. The living presence of God in and through you and me. You see, it's not about the bread. It's about who our Father is. And He is a good, good Father. It was interesting as Jack was meeting our needs, the neighbor that I feared more than any other neighbor I've ever had became the best neighbor we ever experienced. It redefined my assumptions about who was living next door. And friends, in ministry, our best of neighbors is not that next gifted staff person. Our best of neighbors is not that family that we know if we can just get them engaged is going to give the big money. Our best neighbor is not even someone who can bake fine bread because the pantry's empty. The very best neighbor that we have is our Father who offers you and me the Holy Spirit. And imagine the life of the people we minister to if all we had to offer was bread. Imagine the life of the lame beggar man in Acts if Peter had had silver and gold. He might have met a momentary need, but would that lame beggar have ever stood and walked into worship? It was in the lack that the gift of the Spirit created ultimate change. And it was in Jack's lack and the rumors that surrounded him that as Jack began to offer us more than we could have ever asked for, hopefully in a legal way, that his heart began to soften to the degree that one Sunday morning, I was in the middle of a message and who should walk in the back door of the church? But Jack Beer. And he came in still with his hair wet. I think he just got out of the shower, but he had the sense to put some clothes on. He came in. He sat in the very back of the church. But after some time had had passed, and as the Holy Spirit began to rest upon his heart and his life, Jack, in his own big Jack way, came down the center aisle and in fits of sobbing gave his life to Jesus Christ. And I can tell you, I've never been in a Sunday school like I was in with Jack used a lot of four-letter words. They didn't include amen and holy. (laughs) But Jack, in his own way, began to respond to the gift that the Father offers. Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. We want the distinctives like John's disciples have been learning from him. What's the brand? What's the logo? What's the imprint? And Jesus certainly teaches us the Our Father, but he goes even further. There's something that needs to happen when the daily bread is run out. When there is a need at the midnight hour. Will we persist in prayer? Will we hope in prayer? And will we know the one who gives is our Father, whose greatest gift is the person and the living presence of the Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are, for this time of worship and this reminder out of Luke chapter 11 
Father God, that you are good. And there are many of us here this morning engaged in ministry, and seminary is a form of ministry. And God, we embark on full-time ministry in whatever hue and shade that might look. But we know rather quickly, if not already, there's going to come the midnight hour when we look for bread and it's not there. God, would you protect us from our life of prayer being derailed because the bread's not in the pantry? Would you empower us to persist, to hope and asking and seeking and knocking? Because, Father, of who you are and the gift that you give, And so, God, this day, we thank you for our lack, and we thank you for the shameless persistence you call us to. And would we, like your own disciples, like Peter, have those encounters in ministry in life where we don't have anything to offer but the gospel that we have been given what we didn't have, the Holy Spirit, so we can offer what isn't ours to those in need. Would you work that in and through us? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.